God's actual words. And we learn that as we listen to and obey what is written in them, um, God teaches us, and he, he changes us through his word. And so tonight, we're going to really look at what is probably the most important thing for us to understand and realize as we read the Bible, and that is that all Scripture bears witness to Jesus. All Scripture bears witness to Jesus. All Scripture points to the person and to the work of Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah who came to save us from our sins. And so as we learn of him and as we see who he is and and what he cares about, and as we trust in him, we have eternal life in his name. And this matters to us tonight because we're talking about Jesus, right? The Bible is so clear that the only way to have eternal life is through faith in the Son of God. And so if we miss Jesus as we read the Bible, we miss the whole entire point, and it really doesn't serve us any purpose. And so for that reason, tonight we're going to really look at and understand how Jesus impacts the Bible. And to do that, we're going to be in John chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, And the words that we're going to read from Jesus come after, or really come towards the end of a conversation that Jesus is having with some Jewish religious leaders. Um, And really, the Jewish religious leaders in this situation are losing their minds in in this conversation with Jesus. And The reason they're losing their minds is summed up in chapter 5 and verse 18. Um, John provides a little commentary of what's happening. He says this. He says, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. That's Jesus. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus is in this middle of this, this situation where he's proving to the Jewish religious leaders and to everyone who's watching that he actually is the Son of God. He's actually the Messiah that they had been hoping for. And he says that the prophets bear witness to who he is, that he would come, which they do. Then he says that the Father, God the Father himself, bears witness that Jesus is the Son, which he does. And then he says that the scriptures also bear witness of who Jesus is and that he's God. And they do. And so John 5 39 through 40, our main text for tonight, Jesus says this to the Jewish leaders. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Can you pray with me that God speaks to us? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you've given us your word, that it is living and it is active, that it's breathed out by you. And Father, I pray that tonight you would speak to us clearly, Lord. And I pray that we would leave this place not knowing more about the Bible, but that we would leave this place trusting more in Jesus, the one who the scriptures point us to. In your name I pray, amen. So the main idea of our text tonight, and um, really the, the main idea of the sermon, is this. We have a slide for it. Knowing the scriptures does not guarantee eternal life. Tim. 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 Thank you. Knowing the scriptures does not guarantee eternal life, but the scriptures bear witness to Jesus, and knowing Jesus guarantees eternal life. That's our our main idea of the text and of the sermon tonight. So let's get right into it. The first truth is this. Knowing the scriptures does not guarantee eternal life. And we get that from the first half of verse... 39, where it says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. So as I've gotten older, 
um, I've learned that more and more the, the, the wisdom that the Bible gives us is so valuable. Um, the pages of Scripture are filled with wisdom from God about how life works, about how life functions best, and it's so valuable because it's written to us by the one who actually created life, right? So we have so much um, to learn from the one who created the whole thing. And as we learned in the Proverbs series earlier this semester, right, the Bible has wisdom on how to manage money well. It has wisdom on relationships. Um, it has wisdom on humility and pride and what the difference between those things are, on drinking, on um, sex. And what we learn in the scripture is incredibly valuable for us because our world is, is confused, right? We don't have to, to look around very much to see that especially children who are growing up right now don't know what to believe about a lot of different things, sexuality being one of them, right? We don't know what to believe about sexuality, what, what God's design behind that and behind marriage is. And part of the reason kids don't know that is because parents don't know that either, right? We don't, we don't know what to believe. We don't know what's God's design or what to do with it. But the scriptures tell us what God designed the world to look like. The wisdom that scriptures give us teach us that, that God designed humans as, as male and female, and he made man for the woman and woman for the man, and, and marriage is a gift that's designed by God for a man and a woman, and, and that sex is a gift given to a married couple um, for them to, to enjoy and to unite them together. And, and this is what we need to believe, and this is what we need to teach, because that's what the Bible tells us. But if we don't know those things, if we don't believe those things, then we can't teach them to others, and it's no surprise that everyone in our society is confused. So the scriptures are filled with God's wisdom, and, and we would be wise to listen to what he says in the scriptures and to apply what he teaches us, but the Bible is not just a, a book that's given to us filled with wisdom and filled with knowledge and, and understanding of how right and wrong um, are different from each other, but the Bible is written primarily to point us to the person and the work of Jesus, the Son of God. And this is what Jesus is trying to get the Jewish religious leaders to understand in this passage. He's saying like, yeah, you know the scriptures really well, but you've missed the entire point of the scriptures. See, they were knowledgeable about the scriptures, probably more knowledgeable than all of us in here combined. They spent their life studying the scriptures, but they didn't let the message of the scripture, the heart of scripture, into their hearts. They wouldn't let their hearts be changed by it because they wouldn't go to the one who wrote it. See, these, these people thought that because of their scriptural knowledge, because of the fact that, that they had all of the right answers, and because they were biological Jews, they were biological children of Abraham, they thought that because of that they had eternal life. But Jesus says, no, you're missing the point of the scriptures. The scriptures do not give eternal life. And that's the same for us. See, knowing the scriptures for us does not guarantee us eternal life. We can be really knowledgeable about what the Bible says, and we can still go to hell, because we can miss the entire point of the Bible if we're not careful. And I think we need to realize that the Jewish leaders are not all that different from us, right? They miss the point of the scriptures, and so often in our lives, we can miss the point of different things in different areas. And I've got a few pictures, actually, that are funny pictures, that I think will show us that we miss the point in things sometimes. So the first one, this company is called Just Wireless. So you would think if you're a company that's titled Just Wireless, you would sell things that are just wireless, right? But they're selling an HDMI cable that's wired. I think that's funny. They missed the point of their name. Next, 
Okay, these are four secret center lemon muffins, which you would think, oh yeah, it's a secret center. We have no idea what we're going to bite into until you read under it. Lemon flavor sponge with an oozing lemon curd middle. It's not a secret. It's a lemon curd middle. This one, 24-hour um, protection, but you have to use it two times a day. <laughs> Confusing. It'll last 24 hours, but you have to use it once every 12 hours. Um, this is, I think, a couple taking their dog on a walk, but they forgot that the purpose of taking your dog on a walk is for your dog to walk. Uh, next. Oh, yeah, a treadmill that says running is not recommended. See, the purpose of a treadmill, last time I checked, is for you to be able to run on it. And so this treadmill is forgetting its purpose, and now we're back to the Bible. So those are like some funny examples, right? Some funny examples of how we can miss the point of certain things in our lives. And see, like you, the, the, the point of missing the point of Scripture is a lot more worrisome for us than missing the point of a treadmill, right? If we go to a treadmill and it says, hey, you can't run on the treadmill, like we're going to be okay, right? We can go run outside. We can go run on a different treadmill. Life goes on. But if we miss the point of Scripture and we think that our knowledge of Scripture will give us eternal life, then we're not going to be okay. We're going to spend an eternity apart from God. So knowing the scripture does not guarantee eternal life. And that's the bad news. But it gets a lot better because the second truth and the second part of our main idea is this. But the scriptures bear witness to Jesus. So knowing the scriptures does not guarantee eternal life, but the scriptures bear witness to Jesus. So look at all of verse 39 this time. It says, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So this statement by Jesus would make the Jews even more angry. Remember, they're already riled up. They're already upset at Jesus. And now they're even more angry because he's saying that the scriptures that they cling so tightly to, the scriptures that they spend their life studying, the scriptures that they love are actually bearing witness to Jesus. And this is a problem for them because in their minds, they love the scriptures. They cling so tightly to the scriptures, but they hate Jesus. And so their problem is, if I love the scriptures, and now Jesus is saying that the scriptures point to him, but I hate Jesus, there's a conflict, right? And the conflict comes because they were more concerned about being seen as knowledgeable of the scriptures than they were about loving and following God. They cared more about what people thought of them, about how people came to them for seek, to seek wisdom from the scriptures, than they cared about what God thought about them. And I wonder if we've ever been in the same boat. I know for me, I have been. There have been times when I've come to, to share a sermon, and part of my thinking has been, oh man, I hope that they like me. I hope that they think that this is okay. I hope that they approve. That's a wrong motivation that's saying I, I, I care more what people think than what God thinks. The right motivation is, man, Lord, you've used this message to minister to me, and so I pray that you would now use it to minister to others, right? There's a, a difference there. Am I going to honor God, or am I going to seek to have the honor of other people? See, it's easy for me when I read sections of scripture like this to point the finger at the Jewish re religious leaders and be like, how did they not get it, but then I realize I'm a lot like them sometimes, right? I need Jesus just as they needed Jesus. So the scriptures bear witness to this one that we need, Jesus. So what we're going to do is take a quick trip through the Old Testament 
and see how, how the scriptures point us to Jesus. Because Jesus says that all of the scriptures point to him, right? And so I want to look at some verses that, that were written way before Jesus came to the earth that point us to who he is and to, to the kind of work that he would do. But before we get into that, Luke 24, there's this scene where Jesus rises from the dead and he starts walking with these two men on a seven-mile road to this place called Emmaus. And it says this, it says, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he, which is Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus walks seven miles with these guys. That would take probably over two hours of walking. And these men are there walking with Jesus as he's explaining to them the scriptures, the Old Testament, and saying, hey, all of these things that you guys read about in the Old Testament, they were all pointing to me. So I'm not going to spend two hours doing this because that would be a long time. We don't have that much time. But I want to I spend a little bit of time here because I think it's super important for us to, to see that Jesus was not just some guy that came and made some claims and then died and, and that was it. But Jesus was the one that God had promised from the beginning. He was the one that scriptures in the Old Testament had pointed to, and he was the one that came to, to be that Messiah, the Son of God, who would save us from our sins. And so we're going to break this up into two sections. First, we're going to look at the person of Jesus, who he is. Um, we're going to see where he would come from, what he would be like as he came to the earth. And then we're going to spend some time looking at um, the, the work of Jesus, what he did, what he accomplished for us. And these are all verses that come from the Old Testament well before Jesus came to the earth. And we've got some slides um, with, with the summaries on them. So we're going to start with the person of Jesus. And I want to read all of these verses, but I gave you the summary up there. So Isaiah 7 and verse 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this verse says that the Jesus would be born of a virgin. We know he was. And that he would be named Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that is the name that he was given. Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who were too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So this verse is a prophecy that says Jesus, this, this chosen one, is going to come from Bethlehem. He will be the king, the ruler of Israel, and he'll be born in Bethlehem, this little town, and we know that he was. Hosea 11.1 1 says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. So Jesus, quickly after he was born, there was a massacre. He was sent to, to Egypt with his family, and then God called him back out of Egypt to come to Israel, fulfilling this prophecy. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So this verse says that Jesus would be despised and rejected by men, and we know that that was the story of his life. Even as we're reading right now, the Jewish leaders were despising him. They were rejecting him. Psalm 118 and verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is another example of what we're seeing in this section, that that the leaders, the religious leaders, were rejecting Jesus, but he would become the cornerstone, the one who the whole church is built upon. Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble 
and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. So this is what we celebrated in, in Palm Sunday, right? Jesus, this king coming as a donkey, or not coming as a donkey, that would be <laughs> weird. Coming on a donkey. It was not even a talking donkey, I don't think. He came on a donkey into Jerusalem instead of coming in on a white horse. Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. says, Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. So this is a picture of what happened with Judas, right? When, when stop laughing. When Jesus was, was betrayed by Judas, he was, he was, Judas was given 30 pieces of silver by the leaders and given, he then gave the Lord over. Isaiah 50, 53 and verse 9 says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So this is talking about a, a blameless man that was buried with the rich. And we know that Jesus, after he died, he was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, who was a rich man. So those are some, a few prophecies about the person of Jesus, who he is, what he would be like. And now we want to look at a few examples of the work of Jesus. These are things that were prophesied beforehand that they said that the, the Son of God would come and would do these things, and Jesus fulfilled them. Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound. So this is saying that Jesus would come and, and proclaim and display good news, which we've seen all throughout the Gospels. Isaiah 50 and verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. This is a picture of when Jesus was, was scourged and was beaten before he went to the cross. His beard pulled out and his, his skin ripped from off of him as he, was, as he was whipped for our sins. Psalm 22 verses 16 and 17. For dogs encompassed me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. This is a picture of the Son of God that would be crucified, that his, his hands and his feet would be nailed, and they would be staring at his ribs as he's suffocating on the cross after being beaten. Isaiah 53 and verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So this is saying that, he would come and he would take our grief. He would take our sorrow and he would suffer God's wrath. And we know that that happened on the cross. The next verse, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So this is saying that Jesus would heal us with his blood. And this is a theme of Paul's writing in the New Testament. He says, if Jesus' blood wasn't shed, we have no hope. Isaiah 53 and verse 6, the next verse. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this is saying that Jesus would die, and he would take on the wrath of God. He would take on all of our sin that we deserve to pay for, but he would pay for it on the cross. Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore I will divide him a portion 
with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So this not only says that Jesus died with sinners, and we know that he died with a criminal on his right and on his left, but it also says that he intercedes for the transgressors. And on the cross, what did Jesus do? He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was praying, he was interceding for the very ones who sinned against him. Finally, Genesis 3.15, right at the very beginning of time, God speaks to, to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So he says, yeah, Satan, you're going you're gonna to bite this, this offspring of, of Eve's heel, but he's going to crush your head. And that's pointing to Jesus who would have his heel bitten essentially on the cross. But what happened? He died and he rose from the dead and he crushed the head of Satan. So those are just 16 quick examples of Old Testament prophecies, things that were written hundreds and in some cases thousands of years before Jesus walked the earth that speak to specific things that the Son of God fulfilled. But the scriptures contain a lot more than 16. They contain over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled when he was on the earth. And so we can say beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is telling the truth when he says the scriptures bear witness to him. And in case you're still having some doubts, the odds of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies, only 48, Jesus fulfilled 300, is 1 in 10 to the 157th power, which I made a slide for fun. That's a lot of zeros, 157 zeros. That's the probability of a one man fulfilling 48 prophecies. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. It's not even like a number that you can put up on a screen. So Jesus is telling the truth. Without a doubt, he is the son of God. He is the one that the scriptures have been pointing to from the very beginning. So knowing the scriptures does not guarantee eternal life, but the scriptures bear witness to Jesus. And our third and final truth is this, knowing Jesus guarantees eternal life. Knowing the scriptures does not guarantee eternal life, but the scriptures bear witness to Jesus, and knowing Jesus guarantees eternal life. We get this from verse 40 of John chapter 5. It says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So the message that Jesus is sharing with, with the Jewish leaders is that their knowledge of the scriptures does them absolutely no good. It actually condemns them because they refuse to come to the one that the scripture points to. They refuse to come to Jesus. And as a result, he says they don't have eternal life. So City Light you, the question on the table for us tonight is, will we come to Jesus or will we reject him? There's no other option. Jesus says clearly that he is the way and the truth and the life and that no one can come to the Father, no one can approach God, no one can be in a re right relationship with God except through him. In addition, he says that knowing God is eternal life and knowing the Son who God sent. So if all scripture points to Jesus, and if Jesus is the only way to the Father, and if eternal life is knowing God and the only way to know God is through Jesus, then we have a choice to make. We can either come to Jesus in faith and receive him, or like the Pharisees in this situation, we can reject him. There's no other options, and only Jesus guarantees eternal life. And so I want to 
answer the question that maybe you're asking, okay, if only I can know, if only I can experience eternal life by knowing Jesus, how then can I know Jesus? And we're going to let the Bible answer that question. We're going to go back to the Old Testament because as we've seen, all of Scripture points to Jesus. And so I want to show you one of the more clear Old Testament passages that point us to the work of Jesus and the way to experience salvation. And it's Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 12 is the story of the Passover. It's when um, God was, was bringing his people out of slavery in Egypt. They had been there as slaves for 400 years. But in order to bring his people, Israel, out of Egypt, there had to be one more plague because the Egyptians were continually hardening their, hardening their hearts. Pharaoh was continually saying, no, I will not let the people go. And so God says, I'm going to bring one more plague on these people, and it's finally going to get their attention because it's going to be the plague of the death of the firstborn. So the firstborn son of every family, the firstborn livestock of every family of animals is going to die, and that's going to get the people's attention, and they're finally going to let my people go. This death will affect everyone. It will affect everyone from Pharaoh to the prisoner in the prison. But but God provides a way for his people to be saved like he always does. God speaks to the people of Israel and he tells them that he's going to bring death to the entire nation of Egypt, but they can be saved if they will just listen to and obey what he tells them to do. So he tells them that each household needs to, to have a lamb, a perfect spotless male lamb that is one year old, and each family needs to kill this lamb and they need to take the lamb's blood, and they need to paint it on the doorposts of their house. And then they're going to eat the meat um, from the lamb, and then they're going to go into the house that has the blood painted on the doorposts. And as they wait there inside the house that's covered by the blood, the angel of death is going to pass through, and any house that has blood will be passed over. Any house that does not have blood, the firstborn son will die. Exodus 12 and verse 13, it says this, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is one of the clearest pictures of the work of Jesus and the right responses to that work that the Old Testament gives us. See, death is coming for every single one of us. The odds of Jesus fulfilling one in 48, or 48 prophecies were huge, right? But the odds of us dying are like one to one. Like, we're all going to die, right? Sorry, it's just true. Hebrews 9.27 says that just as it is appointed man to die once, after that comes the judgment. So we're all going to die, and we're all going to face the judgment of God. But you could say that in this story, we're all going to to face the angel of death like the people of Egypt are going to face. But praise God that you and I do not have to experience God's eternal judgment and God's eternal wrath. See, Jesus is the perfect lamb that this, the Israelites had to sacrifice. This is a beautiful picture of the perfect lamb that would be killed to save many. See, Jesus was a man who was without spot and without blemish. He was perfect. He was sinless, yet he was killed to pay for our sins, and he was killed to protect us from God's wrath. Like the lambs who, who were killed for no wrong of their own, Jesus was killed for no wrong of his own. 
His blood was shed, and we have a decision to make about what we'll do with his blood that was shed. Will we let it sit in a bucket and, and think, oh, like, we don't really need to put that on our house. Like, that's weird. Why would I paint blood on my front door? We could do that. Or we could listen to God and obey him and, and in this situation, paint the blood of the lamb over our houses and go and rest on the inside of our home, knowing that our home is covered by the blood of Jesus, that the Lamb of God is protecting us. See, the message of the gospel is foolishness to people who are perishing, to people who don't see their need for Jesus because they're, they're content with their knowledge of Scripture. The thought of Jesus having to die for their sins and for them having to, to repent of their sin, to confess their sin, and to receive Jesus and Jesus' forgiveness, it seems like foolishness. It seems like as foolish as it would be to, to kill a lamb and then to paint the lamb's blood on your door and go inside the door because some imminent angel is going to come and kill the firstborn of every family. That seems like foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the message that, that our only hope, the only hope that we have of salvation is Jesus. It's the message of Jesus, this perfect lamb of God who willingly went to the cross, shedding his blood so that we could be forgiven of our sins and that we could be brought back into a right relationship with God. See, Jesus' blood has already been shed. We celebrate that on Friday, right? Jesus' blood has already been shed. The work has already been accomplished, but the question remains, will you apply Jesus' blood to your life? And if you've never applied Jesus' blood to your life, if you've never recognized your need for him, you can pray to God even in this moment and ask him to save you. So you can tell him that you've sinned. And, and maybe even tonight, as, as you've been listening to this message, you've realized, I, I know a lot about the scriptures, but I'm not trusting in Jesus. Maybe I thought that my knowledge of scripture was enough, but now I'm understanding that I actually need Jesus, not more knowledge. Confess that to him. And you can trust in Jesus tonight that he died for your sins, that he rose from the dead, and that you can have eternal life in his name. See, through faith, you can apply this, this proverbial blood to the door of your heart, and you can trust in him, knowing that his blood will save you and protect you from the wrath of God, and you don't have to experience God's wrath on Judgment Day because Jesus already took his wrath for you on the cross. I'd encourage you to do that tonight. And for, for those of you who have trusted in Jesus, who have applied the blood that he shed to your heart, I would encourage you to, to take heart and to, to be encouraged in the fact that you're safe under Jesus's blood. See, that night in Egypt, the angel of death did pass through. He came through, and the firstborn of every family in Egypt was killed. But every family whose house was painted with the perfect blood of the lamb, every family who was inside under the covering of the blood, they were safe. The blood of the lamb protected them from the wrath of God. And Christian, God knows how to keep those who are his. So you can trust that if your faith is in Jesus, if you're covered by the blood, you're safe. You can sit down in that home so to speak. And it, it gives you this picture of, of safety and of security, knowing that as the storms of life come and as death surrounds you, you're hidden in Christ. You're safe in his love. You're safe 
under his blood. God's wrath was taken by Jesus on the cross. He paid the penalty. He rose from the dead, and now he gives you new life so that you can experience him in fullness. And that is such good news. You're safe in Jesus. You're safe in Jesus forever. So if I can leave you with one message, it would be simple. It would be keep trusting in the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that you had a plan from before time began to redeem mankind that sinned against you. God, we don't deserve it. We did nothing to, to earn this. God, we've, we've sinned and we deserve your punishment, but you've given us life in Jesus. And so we praise you and we thank you that our sin did not ruin your plan, but you sent Jesus, the perfect son of God, to die for the guilty. The lamb of God, uh, with no sin of his own, died for us, people who deserve death. So Father, I pray that, that our hope would be in you, that our faith would be in you. Jesus, thank you for what you did. Father, for anyone here who has not yet trusted you, I pray that you would continue to work in their hearts, that they would turn to you, and that they would trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to save them. You are our only hope. Thank you, God, that we're safe under the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.